Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. When four-time Grand Slam champion Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open on Monday, her decision set off a flurry of reaction well beyond the world of tennis. Before the tournament began, Osaka announced she would not do any post-match press conferences and tournament organ and tournament organizers countered by threatening her with suspension from future Grand Slams. In response, Osaka withdrew from the Open, saying she has been suffering from, quote, long bouts of depression. Her sponsors and athletes like NBA star Steph Curry have lauded her candid response. Critics have argued that press is part of the game. What obligations do professional athletes have to the press and what responsibility does the press have to them? We're talking about that this segment with Anne Killian, sports columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, and Louisa Thomas, staff writer for The New Yorker magazine. Louisa, I want to begin with you. First of all, sum up for us, who is Naomi Osaka? She's known for being pretty outspoken on social justice issues uh, within the the tennis community. Is that right? I should say social justice issues at large. She Is that right? Louisa, are you there? Uh, sorry. Sorry, I was muted. Um, no worries. Yes. She is first known for being extremely good at tennis. She won the last two Grand Slams that she entered. Um, so that is the first thing she's known for within tennis. But um, yes, yeah, she is known as one of the most powerful voices for social justice. Um, she really, um, that began last summer during the, um, the protests after um, the killing of George Floyd. She actually flew um, and attended some of those protests, attended them also in Los Angeles, where she lives in the off season. And um, she started speaking out. Um, and she continued that during the summer, um, both um, through really powerfully wearing masks printed with the names of um, victims of police brutality before every single one of her uh, rounds in the US Open, a tournament she went on to win, and also just using her platform to um, speak out particularly against racial injustice, but also about her other values. And, um, and yeah, that has coincided with um, 
her dominance really at the top of the game. Um, there are a couple of players who uh, can challenge her for that top spot, but um, she's certainly, certainly up there. And can you explain to us why her declining to do these press conferences is a big deal? Well, Naomi Osaka is certainly the most marketable woman in, in women's tennis. Um, the most marketable person in women's sports, actually. She um, made around $50 million in off-season um, sponsorship deals and, and income um, in the past year, which is, is a record by some measure. Um, and she is the most visible, the most charismatic, the most, um, the biggest draw. And so when tournament organizers found out that she would not be appearing um, before the press, they took that as, as a major um a blow and they reacted accordingly. Um, press is actually, a lot of people don't understand this, but athletes are um, obligated to um, do press. When they enter a tournament, they you know sign a deal basically saying that they are going to appear at a press conference um, as long as they are requested as she always is um, after every match, whether or not it's a win or a loss. And um, so when she said that she would not be doing that, um, which did by the rules subject her to a fine, um, yeah, a lot of people maybe don't understand that that's a, a part of the kind of agreement, but also a lot of people said, you know, well, wait a second, there's something going on here. They should should have been making some sort of obligation for her. So it became this big story about the relationship between the athletes and the press. It became a big story about mental health and what kind of accommodations should be made or shouldn't be made. And um, it became a story that, you know, by her own admission, she didn't really quite see coming um, when she made that initial statement. And Anne Killian, this is also a story about race, right? Because, you know, the the tennis, uh, the sport of tennis is primarily controlled by older white men. Uh, Naomi Osaka is, of course, a young woman of color standing up to them. And you have actually written recently about a lot of discrimination that black athletes are facing. Well, I mean, that's nothing new, right? Um, Athletes of color have been facing a different set of standards for a long time, but I, I wrote um, this week a, a little bit of a, and thank you for having me. Um, it's not an exact parallel, but I couldn't help but draw a connection between what was happening in Paris with Naomi and what was happening on the NBA courts with all these incidents of fan violence against players. And I think it's just this, it's, it speaks to our time, um, to the divisiveness in our nation overall, but a lot of these athletes do take stands, they do speak out, and then they feel um, kind of under siege for for what they represent. And Naomi's, in a, I mean, I'm, it's not apples to apples by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like it's part of the same issue in that we're not very empathetic as a society, whether that's towards athletes or to, towards each other. And there we too often these athletes these famous people are treated kind of like they're not real actually Kevin Durant from the Nets after his teammate Kyrie Irving had a water bottle thrown at him had to actually come out and say we are humans we are not in a circus you can't just do this to us and you know does that really have to be said in this day and age and I think you know Naomi's very young which is part of the reason this kind of was handled clumsily in everyone on on all sides I think um she has a lot to say she's to me super interesting but as 
um, an older person who has kids, every time I watched her at a press conference, I felt the need to protect her. I really wanted to protect her because she was clearly uncomfortable. And so she's she's a, a creature of social media, which is part of the amplifying effect of all these these messages and noise and hate and trolling. She's she's a young person who that's her primary experience. And so she ha- doesn't have the Roger Federer or Chris Everett was pretty critical of her. Chris Everett, you know, the golden girl. And we uh, definitely want to talk more about this, but we're coming up on a break real quick. Um, we will be right back with Ann Killian and Louisa Thomas, staff writer for The New Yorker magazine, talking about Naomi Osaka's decision to withdraw from the French Open and the relationship between athletes and the press. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We're talking about Naomi Osaka's decision to withdraw from the French Open, and we want to hear from you. What do you think about her decision? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, and Killian, I, I want to go back to a point that you were making before our break, and and that is that athletes now are working and playing in such a more complicated environment than some of their predecessors. As you were saying, you know, social media is now a huge thing. Athletes are expected to weigh in on social justice issues or even politics in, in, some, in some cases. How do you think that is changing the dynamic between athletes and the press and the public? Well, in, in certain regards, it's created a more hostile environment, um, certainly between athletes and part of the public or, or the non-sports media, you know, the famous shut up and dribble that we would hear from Fox News about NBA players who were protesting social justice. Um, and, and I think, but, but young athletes, it, it's just a double-edged sword. They, they can bypass the press by going through social media and, and controlling their own message. But by doing that, they also open themselves up to this awful, hate-filled world that um, can get really out of control. And many athletes, the NBA, many NBA players in the last couple of years have spoken about um, the effect that has on it. Now, serious depression, like Naomi is speaking about, that that's a separate issue of mental health. And I don't mean to diminish that and, and say that, um, you know, that's not a medical issue that she's having to deal with. But I do think there's this, this kind of siege mentality that is happening in today's world that, you know, I, I read I, some of the things about from new, longtime tennis reporters talking about, you know, the difficulty Pete Sampras might've had in speaking about his, his losses in some big tournaments. Well, you know, 
Pete Sampras, that, that might as well have been the stone age in terms of what athletes are dealing with now in terms of how their messages are amplified and distorted and changed and, and kind of the echo chamber that they live in. We're getting a lot of uh, comments from listeners. Henry writes, Naomi Osaka should be afforded her space. She's a young lady under a lot of pressure. The French Open and the press should realize that without her, there is no news for them. Respect her and give her space without contradiction. And another listener asks, does a superstar like Naomi even need the press when she has social media? Although it probably helps the sport, it doesn't help her. Uh, Louisa, this is an interesting question. It brings up an interesting question. Do we even need press conferences in in sports? Are they necessary? Um, you say in a recent column, they're not really what anyone wants. And, you know, normally they're pretty repetitive, though they can lead to some insights on occasion. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, tennis is a little bit different from other sports where there are other kind of um, forums in which um, media coverage can happen. There's locker room access, let's say, or, you know, maybe in baseball around the batting cages or things like that. The media um, doesn't have a lot of access um, to tennis players, particularly during grand slams. Um, The press conference is basically it. Um, So if you have a question, that's where it's, that's where it's going to get answered. Um, And, you know, as someone who has, you know, been to a lot of um, tennis tournaments and um, I don't, yeah, really like attending press conferences, but, but they are sort of the the best. They're better than nothing. Um, and nothing is the alternative right now. Um, you know, we can talk about maybe some other kind of alternative, but they are the only place where it, you know, an, an exchange isn't mediated by a agent or a manager. Um, you know, I've, I've interviewed Naomi Osaka, um, several times and one-on-one and, and those have been, you know, re- fruitful interviews, but at the same time, I've also learned a lot from her by, um, attending her press conferences. And, and the, one of the ironies here is that she's actually great with press. She's disarming. She's funny. She's informative. She's smart. Um, the press actually quite likes her a, a lot. Um, I know she, you know, has said that they made her, they, she has suggested, and then her sister sort of said that the press made her feel bad about her performance on clay in particular, but, um, you know, it's often been a pretty friendly atmosphere. Um, that's not always the case. Um, Obviously, there have been some really stupid um, questions asked in the for, uh, in the form of a press conference, and sometimes even racist and sexist ones. Um, certainly, ham-handed ones. Um, and it's you know it's terrible that these athletes are subjected to that sometimes. And maybe it's reason enough to take down the whole system. But um, you know, I do think that one of the ways in which Naomi Osaka has become such a big star is that she's had a really good relationship with the press so far. And, and part of that has come through press conferences. Mm-hmm. And I think you also bring up an interesting point in that she was saying the press can make her feel bad about herself and, and cause her some doubt. You know, as a journalist, my first reaction is, well, it's not, it's not the press's job to make you feel good about yourself. But I can also see from her perspective, well, then I'm not going to put myself in a situation, you know, it, that, that, that makes me feel those ways. I mean, it, it seems like it's a pretty, it's a pretty delicate balance to strike. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I, I wrote in my story is that one, and one of the things I've really been trying to work out in my own mind is exactly what you said, you know, traditionally it's, it's not the job of the press to really um, safeguard the feelings of the people it's writing about. Um, but obviously we are having a more expanded conversation about mental health and the effects of 
of words on people, um, which are very real effects. I don't mean to downplay those. And, and obviously if your job is to go out and win tennis matches, why would you subject to yourself to sort of undermining questions or questions that you perceive to be undermining? Um, you know, so I can understand that part of it too, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the part, um, that a lot of journalists sort of were less sympathetic with the idea that she, she didn't want to be criticized. Um, because obviously it's, it's not our job to, to make people feel better about themselves. Um, and so that's, and that's a sort of a conversation I think that we're going to be having for some time, you know, and, and the way I sort of understand it is that athletes are absolutely entitled to respect and um, to a safe and, you know, a safe working environment, but at the same time, um, they're not entitled to, to perfect self-confidence as I put it. Um, and so and, negotiating that can be difficult. Yeah. And what is your take on that as a, as a sports journalist? Well, um, first of all, tennis is, you got to look at what tennis is going through right now. Naomi is by far the most intriguing young star on the tennis scene. And so we have, you know, there's Roger and Rafa who are the most gracious athletes. They, so they, they've set a standard in the world of tennis and it's probably not fair to expect anyone to follow those guys in terms of how they've handled press how they, they interact with the public. They, they tend to be just on a pedestal by themselves. Serena has for years, you know, done press conferences, but all these people are aging out. And so the world of tennis, you know, they need to create stars. And, and Naomi is the biggest young star. Otherwise this sport, especially in places like the United States is, is a little bit in trouble. And it's, and so press conferences, in that sport become extremely important. It's kind of, I compare it to the Olympics, which I, I've covered the Olympics since the 90s. And, you know, those are, those are sports that are not paid attention to on a regular basis. So when they have their opportunity, we get access to those athletes. They want us in those press conferences. They want us to be writing stories and shining a spotlight. So even though there, is, there are TV interviews and even though there's social media, press conferences are still pretty important to create a picture of who these people are. But I would agree, of course, it's not our job to make you feel good, but some press conferences, and I think, <laughs> I think there should be some sort of standard. And I wouldn't say this just about tennis, but uh, in many press conferences that I'm in that, you know, it, there should be some sort of a three strikes. Cause I've been in press conferences with people who ask the most obnoxious questions and they do it all the time. And it just becomes uh, all about them. Like, how provocative can I be as a journalist? Now, most people are not like that, but there are some. So I think there's also some some need to control the um, you know the journalists. And in a lot a lot of times at these grand slams, there's also a language barrier between the journalist and the athlete. So it's it's a complicated thing. But I I, I the alarm that's being sound that press conferences are going to go the way of the past. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think there's still a need for interaction between the media and the uh, and the athlete that is not controlled in a like the network setting where it's just one quick um, on court interview. We're talking about Naomi Osaka's decision to withdraw from the French 
open and the relationship between athletes and the press. And we want to hear from you. What do you think about her decision? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I want to go now to Lillian in San Jose. Go ahead. Yes, uh, my take on this is, yes, she is a star, but she's also um, her in her own right when she talked about Black Lives Matter. She's out there. And unfortunately, she kind of slipped and fell in her uh, spotlight. And it seems like they're attacking her. And of course, she's going to have a mental health breakdown. I mean, that's a lot of pressure for a 24-year-old. And Phillips, the swimmer, when uh, he had a mental health breakdown, and there's been other star athletes, Navara, the tennis player who had lymphoma and just recovered from that but could barely finish her tennis uh, tournament that she had recently. I mean, these people are vulnerable, and we want to see them human. So the tennis uh, corp, the tennis, I don't know, the tennis tournament people in the press should give these young people a break. And instead of attacking them, they should put them on a platform and say, hey, these people have suffered. We're all suffering during COVID. But uh, instead of uh, tearing them down, we should bring them up. And I feel it's the press's duty and everybody else's duty to give them a platform to say, hey, I had a mental health crisis. We're all suffering. And this is what it looks like even when you're a star in the spotlight. Thank you. Thanks, Lillian. Um, I think that uh, she was uh, Lillian was uh, referring to Michael Phelps in her call. Um, And what's your response to that? A lot of, of course, sports, you know, are especially, you know, notoriously hard on your psyche, especially ones like tennis, where it's just you out there and you have all this sole focus. Do these sports need to do a better job of helping athletes deal with that stress? Well, absolutely. And I would I would argue that tennis is probably the hardest of any of the, the high profile sports. I mean, you're out there completely by yourself. You're not, you know, at least when you're swimming, there's another guy in the next lane. He's not on your team. You're trying to beat him. But it, it's 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 not you're not just isolated on one side of the court by yourself. And I think, it, you know, I think it's hard. I mean, we let's not forget that in the history of tennis, we saw a lot of young, talented young women who were stars when they were teenagers and just completely broke down. Now, back then we didn't really talk about mental health, but maybe we should have because, you know, the Jennifer Capriotis of the world, they couldn't handle the pressure when they were teenagers. And Naomi has been a star since she was a teenager. Um, I, I do think that empathy is the key. And I, the one thing I would disagree with the, with um, the caller is that I don't think the press is trying to tear her down. This is by far the most criticism she's got in her um, career is over this one issue. I think, I think in general, uh, she has been, um, as Louisa said, quite popular with the press. She's so thoughtful, so smart, so real. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, but she has to do it. She has to protect herself and organizations really are starting to learn the NBA has been a leader in terms of mental health, but they're really starting to learn that that this is a serious issue for athletes of any age. I want to go now to uh, Donna in San Francisco. Go ahead. Hello. Um, you were saying earlier that you were wondering, you know, why would she subject herself to that? Well, nobody said that the big answer is that she signed a contract. 
and she has millions of dollars of endorsements from people who are from companies who are expecting her to go out there and do what she's supposed to do. It's her job, essentially. So if she's having a mental health day or a sick day, that's one thing. But to have the whole thing change because she can't handle it, but you've just said that a lot of people, you know, have had trouble with this. Perhaps uh, they should change the age limits on these tennis tournaments. And if you're not, you know, subjecting your these teenagers or these young people to something that they can't handle, then that's probably the answer. I just don't understand, you know, why someone can just, like, say I'm going to break my contract and, and expect everybody to kowtow. Thanks so much, Donna. And Louisa, that is um, a comment that we've also been getting a, a lot of uh, from our listeners. She may be young um, and she may have like very legitimate mental health uh, crises that she is dealing with or, you know, has an off day like everybody does. But she knew what she was signing up for that she and she makes millions of dollars based on her endorsements and her exposure, partly and because because of the attention she gets from the press. What is your take on that, that she you know, she signed a contract and she should fulfill it? Um, Well, I want to begin by giving her some credit for um, for acknowledging from the start that she was going to be fine. She didn't, you know, say, I'm not going to do this and I should there should be no. I expect no repercussions. Everybody should just accept this. Um, she acknowledged that she was going to be fined quite a lot of money and that, she, you know, she said she hoped it went, would go to mental health causes. Um, pretty much every single other player to, to a person almost who was asked about Naomi Osaka kind of answered um, with, the same, with the same response. They said they really respected Naomi Osaka. They hoped that she was doing okay. And a lot of them said that they admired her, um, but they felt that doing press was part of the job. And, and technically it is when you sign a entry form, you sign, as I said, at the, you know, the start of this segment, you sign an agreement saying you're going to do press. Um, so, so in that sense it is, but at the same time, um, these people are human beings. And I think that anyone who has seen Naomi Osaka up, up close can recognize that this is a person who um, she will constantly tell you that she's shy, you know, and, and that it might be even deeper than something, some shyness, you know, she's said now that she has really struggled with depression and, and you can see that. I mean, you could see in that moment, you know, I actually just went back the other day and watched that trophy ceremony from the 2018 us open final that she references as the sort of starting point of some of her mental health struggles. You know, she is crying on the stage having just beaten Serena Williams as the booze I mean it was a really ugly sound are are raining down on her and you know I um I can I can only imagine you know what that would be like I mean I can't imagine is actually the answer um none of us can I don't think and and so we really can't know what her experience is like and how hard it is and um what she's been going through and and I think that you know talking about some sort of accommodation um, is a reasonable thing when someone's having a hard time. Um, you know, we all, workplaces do that all the time, um, talking about, you know, taking some of these, these situations seriously. Um, you know, I do think that if she had published, if she had put forth the second statement before she did the first statement, the one in which she does say, I'm having a hard time, I need to sort of be given some space to deal with this. And I'm not really equipped right now to go and deal with the press, which is a situation that produces a lot of anxiety. I think there would have been um, a lot more sympathy from the start um, than a kind of the more sort of 
almost slightly exasperated tone that she took in the in the first statement. Um, you know, We've so I think that talking. You know, I'm sorry, uh, Louisa, we have to wrap this up. This has been a great conversation. Obviously, so much more to say. We've been talking about Naomi Osaka's decision to withdraw from the French Open, and we've been speaking with Ann Killian and Louisa Thomas. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Katie Orr. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Priya Clemens in for Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.